Ah, what a good reminder. I needed that. <laughs> oh, I can hear my, I can hear the saints singing that song. We realize where our hell comes from. <laughs> Wish I could sing, Lord. <laughs> Woo! Wish you could have heard it sung at my old church in West Oak Lane, Church of God. Man, I tell you, what a knocked your socks off, what blew us out of this room. Thank you, praise team. Thank you so much for singing that song. Sometimes I forget. That's when I'm crazy. But when I'm saying, I realize where my help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. Father, thank you that you are our ever-present help in the time of need. You are the, our strength. You are our rock. You are our high tower. Standing on you, nothing can harm us. Thank you. We are your people and we are in need of your strength. So, oh Lord, pray that our worship has pleased you and even now I know you've already been working in people's hearts. You worked in mine. I thank you. Father, as we come to hear your word, we ask that you continue to work. Put your word to work by the power of your spirit and accomplish all your good ends. Glorify the name of your son. Strengthen your people. Reprove, rebuke, encourage, strengthen, save. Do all your holy will. We submit to you. May your word go forth with the power of your spirit. And may Jesus, may Jesus be seen. We lift up our hearts, our hands, and our eyes to you. For you are our help. Be my help now as I preach your word. I can't do it unless you help me. May Jesus be glorified in his name. We ask these things. Amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to begin the reading in verse 14. Our text is the beginning, of course, of verse 17. Hear now the word of the living God. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I will tell you this message has a bit of personal testimony in it, so hope you will allow that and not be offended that I would, it's not about me, I just think that I want to share my testimony a little bit with you because this text brings that out, I think. Uh, when I was a child in the 60s, my mom said I caught something called the Hong Kong flu. <laughs> Interesting. 
Um, I had it several times. And by the time, the third time or so that I had it, I came down with asthma. And I want to tell you, I spent many hours in ERs throughout Philadelphia for the next, oh, 10, 11 years. Once I was hospitalized for an entire month in third grade with pneumonia, secondary, of course, to the asthma. And needless to say, I mean, being a kid, you know, I got to tell you, I thought about death a lot, um, especially when I couldn't breathe. There's something about not being able to breathe that causes you to think about dying. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. I hope not, but I'm sorry, but it's true. But when Jesus saved me when I was 17, he began to do something with my fear of death. I'm not, I don't have a death wish, but I believed that he began to deal with the fear of death in me so that it has become less of a concern, so to speak. And I believe that theologically, and I've said it even publicly on occasion, that I'm not afraid to die. But you know, you never really know, right? <laughs> Until you're actually facing something like that. Well, on vacation in Jamaica this New Year's, I had a chance to kind of face that a bit. Now, now I was wearing a life jacket. Um, but my brother-in-law and I went out kayaking right off the coast there, and um, my kayak flipped over. Dumb kayak. No one gave me permission to flip over, by the way. I told it not to do that. I can swim okay, but it flipped over, and as I was in the water, and I'm trying to get back in the kayak. You know, they never tell you, they never teach you how to get back in a floating kayak. It didn't work. It, I fell out again. But something weird happened, and my brother-in-law, and I've talked to a couple doctors, including Freeman, and they said it's probably because of panic that set in. I stopped, I couldn't breathe. So I'm floating in the water and I really can't breathe. I mean, really, I, I mean, it was like, what's going on? I mean, I'm trying to get, get do things, I'm trying to swim to my brother-in-law, I'm trying to do this stuff, but I can't breathe. And you know what happens when you can't breathe, right? You lose energy. So I'm floating in the water and I lost all, I could, I could barely lift my arms. The water is flashing into my mouth, and my mouth, I'm, I'm choking because the waves are hitting me. It's not big waves, but little waves, but they're hitting me, and my jacket's holding me up, but I can't breathe. And, I, and, I'm, and, all I, and I, right away I knew, this is it. I'm going to Jesus. I saw myself visualize, I, sinking under the water, but the life jacket's going to hold me up. But in my panic, I know I'm going down. Life jacket, I know life jacket. So I'm trying to catch my breath. Well, the Lord blessed, and I, I didn't drown. <laughs> I know, you, you need to know that. <laughs> the Lord blessed um, a lady and her boyfriend came by in a kayak out of nowhere. I don't know where they came from. They must have been out there somewhere. They saw me and rode over to me. It turned out she's a firefighter. She had an accent, so I think she was some, somewhere in Europe. And they, they, I held on to the... 
that they told me what to do. I worked my way over, got to the back of their kayak, and I held on to this little rope. But at the same time, I didn't have any energy. So I'm not going to hold on to this rope much longer. I'm like, do you better tell those guys to hurry with the boat because I'm going. I'm gone. And they got me in the boat and got me on the shore. Well, so here's a funny thing. I got on the shore. I got out the boat. I'm standing there going, wow, that was interesting. And they said, hey, man, sit down. Come on, you, sit down, man. You One guy said, man, you got some nice muscles there, man. I said, yeah, well, you wrote a, you know, I've been working on that, bro. But, you, you know, they were trying to you know, smooth me, I guess. He said, sit down. I said, I don't feel fine. I feel fine. He was like, you know, I don't feel fine. And I realized, didn't you just have a near-death experience, dummy? And it hit me. I wasn't afraid. I was like, Lord, I was coming to be with you, and I was okay with that. I was okay with that. I was deep. Doesn't mean I'm okay with suffering and pain. <laughs> but death doesn't haunt me. The risen one has given me assurance of my salvation. And it's not just for messed up Christians like me, it's for all of us who name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Bible says the fear of death holds us in bondage to the evil one. One philosopher, French philosopher named Luc Perry, Luc Ferry, excuse me, has written that the quest, he's a non-Christian, that the quest for salvation without God is at the heart of every great philosophical system and that is its essential and ultimate objective. I spent some time immersing myself in a little bit of some, some philosopher's thought, and you begin to see that so much of philosophy is designed to help people cope with death. All people, therefore, are looking for salvation. It's about death. All religions are about salvation, especially from the awful darkness of death. And Jesus has come. Not only to grant us the salvation we didn't think we needed, that's from our sins. He grants us the salvation we all want, and that's from death. And he gives us the assurance of these things right now. The assurance that our sins are forgiven and the assurance that there's life after death. He wants you to know it. He wants you to feel it in your gut. He wants you to know it in your soul that you are saved. So do you have the helmet of salvation? And if you do, are you relying on it? Are you relying on the helmet of salvation every day as you face joy and sorrow in this life? Now, as by way of review and looking at the context once again, it's significant that, that Paul mentions the breastplate of righteousness before he mentions the helmet of salvation. It hit me. Because I'm sure the Roman soldier ordinarily put his armor on in probably that order. The breastplate probably came before the helmet. 
This point is, Paul is making a point that without having been given the righteousness of Christ by faith, meaning you're saved, there could be no assurance of salvation with the helmet. Makes sense. You can't have assurance of something you don't have. So it's essential that we be clear about what the gospel is. Or we end up giving ourselves and others a false assurance of salvation. And sadly, I think this is done quite a bit. For many of us, there's a moment in time where we put a stake in the ground, as it were. We, here I raise my Ebenezer. You know this, all right? You, we, we put a stake in the ground, a stone of remembrance. You remember the day where Jesus became real to you. A lot of us do. You know when you came to a living faith in Jesus. You've gone, and you've gone forward in life because of that. With bumps in the road, yes, you've messed up, you've failed, you've sinned, sometimes royally, but you know, as in my case, Easter of 1981, Jesus became real and took over your life. Some of us grew up in Christian homes and prayed to follow Jesus at an early age. But even you will probably remember a time when your family's faith in Jesus really became yours. I've talked to so many of you and so many testimonies <laughs> on the East Coast of this country and listened to people. And, and those who grew up in Christian homes often say, often say, I prayed to receive Christ at five, but when I was 13, when I was 14, you know, it, it, it really, he really became real to me. Amen. Maybe that's where you placed your Ebenezer. I don't know. Last time we looked at the helmet of salvation, we looked at it as a present assurance, right? We know that right now we are saved. Meaning, we are certain that we've been forgiven of our sins by the sacrifice of Christ. We know that we're no longer slaves to the spiritual forces of darkness that war against God. And we know that we are seated with Christ right now. We have confidence and certainty that we belong to Jesus. That was last week. And we know we have been saved from the penalty of sin and are being saved right now from the power of sin. We're watching God do stuff in our lives. We'll come back to that maybe next week. Believers, right now you know that you share in Christ's power and authority over the devil and his domain. Right now you know that you have a new identity in Christ and you are seeking to live that that's your present assurance of salvation but our assurance also has a future reality we're not only sure we're saved now but we're also sure we're going to be we're going to heaven we're going to be saved when we die or the Lord comes to collect 
We look forward to the new heavens and new earth where in our complete humanity we are fully saved from the very presence of sin. Oh, looking forward to that. To be, to be standing in our bodies, our resurrected bodies, with our reunited with our spirits, to be standing on the new heavens and new earth, to be standing on a place that is Eden on steroids. God is going to, Eden is going to be nothing compared to the new heavens and earth, wherein no, there is no unrighteousness, there is no sin, and the glory and majesty of God put the sun and the moon to shame, according to Revelation. No sun, because the glory of God will light the heavens. Eden on steroids, y'all. This is better than Eden. destined for that. Now some, some call that assurance eternal security. Some in the reformed camp like this church is, and certainly I am, we refer to it as the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. We recognize that God is holding on to us and he will not let us go and we, are, we will not miss our connection. You ever miss a connection, connecting flight? That's a horrible thing. I mean, you get to the airport, you're finally there, and they put your plane when you're coming on the other side of the airport from the next plane you're trying to catch. And guess what? You've got 10 minutes. And you're, you're running through the airport, breathing hard, jumping over old ladies and dodging around kids and, you know, carts coming at you. And you get to the gate and you missed it. The door is closed. You can't catch this flight. We don't have that problem, saints, when it comes to our spiritual reality. You will not miss your flight. No matter what time you get there, you're on time. <laughs> You're on time. But I didn't always believe that. I didn't always believe that was true. This, this sense of assurance of salvation was absent from my Christian life and my wife's too. We, we both grew up in a Pentecostal church. That's where God saved us. And I love my Pentecostal brethren. They are brethren in the faith, but I disagree with them on this, on this particular topic severely disagree with them on this topic. I never forget we were taught that you could sin so much that you could lose your salvation. One of my best friends thought that if he was caught sinning when the rapture came that he would be lost. He even thought that if he was in a movie theater watching a movie when the rapture came he would be lost. I'm not making this up. Some, now, man, I didn't think a lot about losing my salvation. I have to admit that, and not all Pentecostals or people who believe they can lose their salvation do. But many of them do think about it a lot. You can't help it. Have I sinned? On the, have, I, is this, have I committed the unpardonable sin, right? Have I, have I sinned enough? Have I, have I, has I, have I slipped up? I did it again. Oh, Lord, I didn't mean it, but I did it again. Am I really still saved? Oh, come on, I think even people who know, who believe in eternal security have felt that way. 
You felt that way where you felt like, man, I did it again. And, and, and you just have to wonder, am I really in the kingdom? That's a horrible sense of fear that can grip you. And the devil will play up on that. He will help you in that feeling. And the worse the sin, the greater your fear of losing your salvation and you might miss heaven. As one preacher told me, I'll never forget it, at Temple University, a, a, a dear brother, he was a, well, I think he was a dear brother. <laughs> he, was a, he was a little different. But anyway, Sandy remembers him. And, but he told me, carte blanche, right in my face. He said, listen, we're saved by grace, but kept by works. And I was like, you know, and I was like, back then I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. That's it. Here's what I realized later. <laughs> he could have said it this way. He could have said two ways. He could have said that thing two ways that would have made sense, in biblical sense. He could have said, we're saved by works and kept by works, but not our works. We're saved by the work of Christ and kept by the work of Christ. He would have been, he would have been on hair with a yeah, brother. But what he could have and should have said also is we're saved by grace and kept by grace. We never run out of grace, but that's not what he believed and what I believed at that time either. Because we were taught there was something called the carnal Christian. Anybody ever hear of the carnal Christian? Just want to get the hands because that's not popular today. It's still taught, but it's not popular as it used to be. The car, being a carnal Christian means people who believe they are Christians, Jesus was their savior, but he's not their Lord. In other words, they're not walking in obedience to him. He's not their Lord, but he is their savior. You say, how did they get there? Well, the idea was they walked an aisle, they, they raised their hand, they prayed a prayer to receive Christ when they were 10, 14, whatever. And, and though they walked away and lived a life like Jesus doesn't even exist, because they prayed that prayer 10 years, 20 years ago, that means they're saved, eternally saved. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Because Jesus is always Savior and Lord. You can't take half of Jesus. Follow me, right? What did he tell the disciples? Follow me. That's what it means to have Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're following. There are no carnal Christians. Paul didn't mean that. It's a King James word, by the way. Those who are carnal, he says, are in the flesh. They can't please God. So no, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And I believe, and I, but I believed it. And I'll never forget, you know what turned me around? God did it. Temple University. I'm hanging out with these Baptist students. Baptist. Hey, Baptist, I love you. Baptist, these Baptist students, trans, God used them to transform my life. Me and Sandy were arguing with them about the eternal security. They believed in eternal security. We would say, nah. We would show them Bible verses that seemed to refute that doctrine. And we were, man, we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with these guys. But then something happened. You know what happened? You see, first of all, we were told people believe eternal security so they can live anywhere they want and still go to heaven. That's what we were told. Well, these kids 
were like that. They were on fire for Jesus. I mean, they were mission-minded, they loved the Word of God, they worshiped, they were living lives to honor Jesus, they weren't, you know, living in, in just, 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 because I'm saved forever, I can do whatever I want. They weren't doing that. They were living on fire, and I kept looking at them going, well, hold it, my church said this, but look at these folk. As a matter of fact, you, if you, those of you who know the Hill Sisters, uh, uh, Leslie, Lana, and, and Lisa, who attend our church, their mother was one of those Baptist students who impacted my life and Sandra's life. God then brought me to understand the doctrine of eternal security because he kept, I kept looking at them and then the word of God just blew up. Here's a passage. He, he took me to John chapter 10, 27 to 30. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. I read that and I was like, what? You mean to tell me the Lord's sheep, those who are truly Christian, look at what it says, they, I know them and they follow me. No carnal Christian here. No, I'm a Christian, but I'm not following Jesus. No. Jesus says, my sheep, no, I know them, and they follow me. Watch this, and I give them eternal life. Now, here's the thing. Eternal life actually means eternal. I wasn't, I wasn't clear about that. It wasn't, I got the possibility of eternal life, he says. No, he says, I give them eternal life. Eternal is forever. That means if you have forever life, by definition, Death is no longer a problem for you. Unless, of course, eternal doesn't mean eternal. And we know the Bible's not like that. And Jesus says, just in, and then we, then we, I was told that, but you can jump down, Kevin. May have you in his hand, but you can jump down. But the text say that. No one can snatch them. Now the word no one actually imply, actually uh, should be applied to you. When he says, he didn't say no one but you can snatch you out of my hand. No one. That includes you. If Jesus has snatched you up, if he's taken you for himself, I will not let you go. Here's the thing. You don't want to leave either <laughs> because you've been born again. You are a sheep now, a sheep of You don't want to leave him. Oh yeah, you screw up and sin and you mess up, but you don't want to leave him. You have, we have our moments of insanity, yes, and I call it insanity because when you've been loved by God, when you've been loved by Jesus, to go against him is, is kind of crazy. When you've experienced his kindness to you, when you've experienced his joy singing over you, when you've experienced his an acceptance of you as you are, but he won't leave you as you are, but 
to, to go against that is kind of crazy, yeah. So that's what I mean by insanity. I can't, I can't escape. I don't want to escape. He won't let me go. He says, I got you, and the Father's got you. Well, listen, y'all, when the Trinity has you, you are secure. Okay, let's just get that. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and by the way, keep reading, we'll get there in John. The Holy Spirit's in there too. He lives in you. He's called the Spirit of Christ in you. The whole Trinity. Understand this. The entire blessed, glorious Trinity is involved in your salvation, and therefore, who, what can take you away? That's good news, y'all. Because, man, I blow it. And the devil wants to tell us to me, you know, you, really, you ain't really all that. You don't really stuff, kid. You ever hear that voice? Anybody, anybody hear that voice besides me? You don't really. Yeah, I, I feel you, man. My, thank you for being honest. But we don't have to listen, do we? Because we know the truth. We know the truth that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in us. That's why we're following Jesus now. If that wasn't so, you wouldn't follow Jesus at all. But you're following him now and you're, and you're in love. Why? Because God himself has taken you. Pause in Ephesians 4.30. I don't have time to keep all the verses. But Ephesians 4.30, he says, and do not grieve. Here you go. Do not Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. See, he's in you. Wow. How long were you sealed? For the day of redemption eternally. Thank you. The day of redemption I call it the day God comes to collect. He's put his mark on you. You know, so, so Christians are worried about 666 and the mark of the beast. Listen, you've already Christian, with the seal of the Spirit. You don't have to fear any 666. You've been marked by the living God. The Spirit of God has taken up residence, and he says, you're mine forever. And on to you until the day Christ cracks the sky, and the trumpet blows, and he comes to get us. Woo! <laughs> Now he said you can grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we, when we go against God's word, when we sin, we bring grief. Isn't that, a, isn't that a tender picture of the Holy Spirit that he is grieved by us? I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I, want, I don't, I don't want to grieve him, but when I do, I'm still sealed. I'm still his. And then, and then, and then, and why that happened? Then God did something even crazier in my life. He brought me to the doctrines of grace and reformed theology, in particular, the perseverance of the saints. That's how I came to believe. It was like being born again all over again. When I recognized the sovereign grace and mercy of God, that, that I wasn't saved by accident. I didn't happen to get saved. Do you understand? You didn't happen to get saved. You didn't happen to wake up one day and decide on your own that I, did, I think I want to follow Jesus. That's not what happened. I've shown this 
already before in Ephesians 1, but the idea is that God set his love upon you before the world began. And when in the fullness of time, he drew you to faith in Jesus. Listen, if God went through all that trouble, as it were, he's not going to let you skip out now. He didn't make a mistake by choosing you. Choosing you did not mean I chose you kind of. He set his love upon you, and because he's done it, you will persevere to the end. You're, you will last. You may hit some bumps in the road, but, but, but your general disposition will always be towards Christ. I saw this, and my life was once again transformed again. But I came to, but here's the thing, I came to the understanding in a church that didn't teach it. It was a Pentecostal church. They didn't teach it. As a matter of fact, they taught the very opposite. So I'm in this class. I'm in a class on the, 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 the pastor teaching on eternal security and predestination. I don't even know why he did it. I'm not sure he understands why he did it. He did it for me and my best friend, my buddy Lance, who's also a PCA pastor now. We were in that class. And I was studying eternal security. He was studying predestination. We didn't tell each other because we thought we were crazy. So, the, so they have a class on the two doctrines we're studying. Huh, well, what a coincidence. Christ and to die is gain. If, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. You can't say that with Paul. Paul couldn't say that unless he understood he was secure in his salvation and that, as Lord Jones was saying, and that the glory was waiting for him. The glory. When I'm praying with people in their last hours, I've done it many times in many different states. You're sitting beside their bedside and they're Christian. And I know they belong to Jesus. And I'll, I'll read a passage that reminds them of the glory. The glory the glory to come, the glory for which you have been saved, to which you are going, the glory, the majesty of Christ exploding into your very being as you close your eyes in this life and open them on the other side. And it's not darkness, it's light, because Jesus is waiting for you. I hope grandma and grandpa and, and uncle so-and-so are waiting for you too. I hope so. But that's not the point. The real issue is Jesus waiting for us. Is he going to stand up? Remember when Stephen was being stoned, the first, one of the first deacons, he was being stoned to death, and, 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 and the Bible says Stephen looked up and he saw heaven open and he saw the Son of Man standing on the right hand of the Father. Jesus stood up 
to receive him into glory. Family, do you understand? That's where we're destined. The Son of Man will receive us standing up or sitting down. It don't matter. He will receive us into his presence. Are you certain of that? This is the security that we must depend on and rejoice in. Nothing can keep us from the glory. The Father and the Son will not let us go. Something an African-American theologian named Cornell West said that was pretty striking. He said this, to be a Christian, to have a joyful attitude, is to have a joyful attitude toward the resurrection claim. To stake one's life on it and to rest one's hope upon its promise, the promise of a new heaven and new earth. Is that you? Are you staking your life and your hope on the resurrection of Jesus and therefore your resurrection in him? Family, we don't have to live in the fear of death or the fear of hell. We have been given the helmet of salvation. Every Christian has it. The only if you have it, then my question is, are you relying on it? That's what Paul has taught us to do. Rely. Rest secure. Don't let the devil torment you with your past sins and guilt and shame. Yeah, you did it. But you've been forgiven. And you will, and heaven's doors are open to you. You don't have to talk to Peter. You ain't got to talk to Michael the Archangel. You ain't got to talk to Mary. The heaven's doors will open for you by Jesus Himself, and no one can keep you out. So live like it. We're going to talk more about it next week. Live like it. Live in the assurance. Live in the certainty that you know you're saved now and you will be saved when Jesus comes or you go to be with Jesus. Live in the power and the confidence of that reality. It will transform how you live. I'll show you more next week about that. But it will transform how you live. I'm afraid too many of us are living like we're just citizens of of this earth. We're just citizens of the United States of America. We're living way below our privilege. You are a citizen of heaven. You have a greater king and a greater king. You have a greater responsibility too. You have a greater message. You have a greater hope. When you die, you will not be saying, I voted Republican, hallelujah. I voted Democrat, hallelujah. You'll not be saying I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen. When you close your eyes, your hope had better be in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You dare not trust the sweetest thing, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Your song better be on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all other ground, all other ground. Amen. Father, thank you for this, the rock of your salvation in Jesus. 
Thank you that we are safe and secure. You will not let us go. Hmm. Help us to live it. Help us to live like that. Help us to even think about it. Pray even this week. What does that mean for my living? What does it mean? Oh, show us, Lord, in your word next week. But even this week, begin to show your people what it means to live in the security of their salvation, even now. In Jesus' name.